This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers, helping you prioritize your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. Today I'm talking about two myths that are sabotaging your health and well-being. But before we get to that, I have a couple of updates. Firstly, thank you so much to those of you who pledged to the crowdfunder campaign for season six and seven of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. Unfortunately, we did not reach the goal Uh, which means that the fate of season seven of the podcast this year is still a bit up in the air, but uh, I am so grateful to those of you who pledged your support. The way crowdfunding works is it's all or nothing. So um, if you don't reach the target, nobody pays anything, which I am now realizing is really rather ironic considering the topic of this episode. But anyway, I have a plan B and a plan C. So stay tuned for more about that in future weeks. And of course, follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Self Care for Teachers if you also want to be getting updates there. In other updates, the Teacher Health and Wellbeing Survey is open again. So I'm trying to collect data on the state of teacher health and wellbeing in Australia. And really, I'm, I'm looking for some different data than what is normally collected on school opinion surveys and, you know, school morale information um, because I believe that's only marginally helpful. And as you all know, I am here, you know, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second. So I actually care about your personal health and well-being more than whatever's going on in the professional morale kind of situation. So if you are teaching in Australia this year, then I encourage you to head on over to selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash survey. I'll put a link in the description of this episode to take part in that survey. There is an anonymous section and then an optional second section where you can give some more info if you wish, uh, a little bit more in depth and also obviously uh, a little bit more about you. Um, So I'm kind of going for a mix of the quantitative anonymous data and the qualitative data that I will obviously de-identify before I release any of that information to the world. Uh, If you want to go and listen to the episode of season three, uh, where I share the results of the 2018 survey, that will give you a little bit of an idea of what kind of questions I'll be asking, although I have expanded it a little bit this year. Because like I said, there's, you know, there's some information that I feel like is not out there anywhere. And that's part of what I'm doing it for, right? Because when we have data, we can make better decisions. So I'll pop a link in the description for that too, but again, selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash survey. And in other news, the next Fatigue Resilience Masterclass is on sleep, which is a huge topic for teachers, I know, and it's such a fundamental piece of our wellbeing puzzle. So that is on Saturday, the 27th of June, 2020, and you can get your tickets from Eventbrite or from the link in the description below. And it's a virtual masterclass, so you can join in your PJs from home if you like. Uh, And there'll be a replay available afterwards too. Then on the 29th of June, I am kicking off the replay week uh, and sharing the replays of the Teacher Wellbeing and Resilience free workshop series that I ran at the beginning of this year, which was really well received. And I think I've mentioned before, it just hasn't quite made it into the freebies library yet. 
got some tech issues going on with my website, but that's cool. Uh, it's totally free. So I will put the link in the description and you can sign up via the Facebook event on Self Care for Teachers Facebook page. And yeah, highly recommend that. I've had a number of, you know, like some of the people who joined the Resilient Teacher Coaching Program this round who said that that was a really, uh, really fundamental shift for them. Watching that workshop series was a fundamental shift for them in the way they think about and approach their health and well-being this year as a teacher. And it's really set them up. Obviously, coronavirus hadn't, you know, exploded onto the world stage yet. And, you know, at the time of recording that workshop series, we were in the midst of the the aftermath of the, the bushfires in Australia at the time. So, G2020 has been a big year, hasn't it, so far? Anyway, that uh, workshop series uh, will be replayed from the 29th of June and it'll be open for a couple of weeks, so basically over the winter school holidays here in Australia. So I highly recommend that. Head to the Self-Care for Teachers Facebook page to um, sign up. It's free. And um, finally, the next round of the Resilient Teacher Coaching Program also begins in July. So you, if you're really keen on that, already you know you are, Get on the waiting list at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash resilient teacher because then you'll be the first to know you can get the early bird bonus specials and, you know, it will be limited uh, a limited round. So if you really know that that's for you next round, then make sure you're on the waiting list. Okay, so in this episode today, I want to explore two myths that I see regularly and that I experience myself, right? And that are sabotaging your health and well-being. And those are the ideas that health and well-being is binary and that health and well-being is linear. So the binary and the linear myths, that's what I'm talking about today. Now, when I say myths, I'm not necessarily talking about like mythology, you know, like the Greek gods and goddesses, Hercules and Zeus and Aphrodite and whatever. Those are myths. That is mythology. That's not really what I'm talking about here. I'm talking more about the other definition of myth, which is that, you know, it's a widely held belief or idea that's not necessarily true. It's a misconception, but it probably does have a vein of truth, right? Like a lot of uh, myths, you know, like the Hercules and Aphrodite and whatever, you know, there's there's stories that help us make sense of the world. So there's something that's true about them. But in this case, I really want to explore, you know, this idea about binary and linear health and well-being outcomes and because those are things that our culture, our Western industrial culture really socializes or conditions us to believe as true. And we have been taught that for our whole lives, that life, the world, relationships, health, everything is binary and that it's linear. So let's unpack what I mean by binary and linear. Binary, I'm sure you've heard it before. Technically, it's that thing in maths where everything is broken down into two numbers, zero and one. And that's not what this is about. This is not a technical mathematical podcast. I don't really know anything about zeros and ones. Um, So what I'm really talking about today is binary thinking, which obviously does kind of come from that idea of that two number system, because it is the idea that there are only two options. There's, you know, two opposite things and they are mutually exclusive and that's all there is. So this binary thinking is the idea that there's good and bad. There's right and wrong, up and down, left and right, black and white, male and female, heterosexual and homosexual, yin and yang. You know, there's basically option A and there's option B and that's all there is. There's nothing in between, nothing else around the outside, nothing else exists. It's either category A or category B. And now, like I said about, you know, the myths of Hercules and Aphrodite, you know, There's stories that help us explain and understand the world, but it's not necessarily true or it's certainly not true all the time. 
So this idea that there's only two categories, yes, sometimes that's true, but often it's not true and it's a way oversimplified way of looking at the world, which more on that in a second, but binary thinking is this idea that there are two extremes and they are opposite from each other and they are mutually exclusive and there's nothing in between or else elsewhere at all, no other options. On a kind of similar note but different, linear thinking is the idea that things, events, experiences happen in a sequence in some kind of order that builds on each other you know, increasingly every time. So there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and that is the order, and they have to go in that order, and that's it. So linear thinking is the idea that there's this destination and it's how we get from A to B in the most direct route possible. And it's it's actually really the idea that things happen in a particular order and that that order is correct. That's the best way or the only way for things to happen. And again, sometimes that is true. Sometimes there is a linear pathway for things. You know, these these ideas have not come out of nowhere. Binary and linear thinking doesn't come out of nowhere. But just like with binary thinking, that linear thinking is also often not true. It's an oversimplification of things and it can become unhelpful when we apply either binary or linear thinking in places where they don't fit. So sometimes binary and linear thinking do apply in life and work and that's okay. They're not wrong, okay? So I'm not I'm not going to buy into the binary idea that there's only one right answer or only one model that fits the entire world and if binary or linear thinking isn't the one right answer then it's completely wrong. That's not true either, right? So sometimes they apply and they are helpful and sometimes they don't. And in fact, one thing to note here is that they make us feel safe and certain and like there is order in the chaos of the world, which as humans is really comforting. We don't like uncertainty. It makes us feel really uncomfortable at best and really unsafe, you know, at the extreme end of that. And that's normal. Uh, It's normal to feel uncomfortable and unsafe and hate uncertainty and to just be seeking comfort and, and safety. It's one of our most fundamental human needs. And I think this year, 2020, has shown us all how much we really, we don't know what the future holds. We're not certain about that. We can't control things like maybe we, you know, I think we knew before we would have said intellectually, of course, we can't control the world, but like there was a predictability and an illusion (laughs) perhaps of control. There's so much uncertainty now that's really highlighted and amplified that for us. And it's, it's challenging, right? So binary and linear thinking it can help us, you know, it it helps us feel safe because it makes us think that there is this really clear order to the world, to life. So rather than right or wrong, I want you to think about these types of thinking, you know, as whether or not they're helpful to you in your situation or with your particular goal, rather than thinking it's right or wrong. Um, And it, it could be a little from column A and a little from column B, right? It's not all or nothing. It's not necessarily that something is all helpful or all not helpful because it's not binary, right? So, yeah, let's just hold these concepts loosely. And, yes, I did call them myths at the start, but the thing about myths is, like I said, there is some truth in them. Myths are how humans explain life and make meaning of the world. Every culture has myths, and we repeat myths to each other over and over again in different contexts. They can also be comforting to us, just like the the sense of certainty that we get from thinking there is a, you know, order in the chaos. 
Myths can also be comforting to us and they can help us articulate things that are hard to put into words. So myths are super cool and interesting and helpful and powerful until they're not. So I invite you to hold all of this loosely and to just try it all on for size today. It doesn't necessarily have to feel like a fit for you, but let's try it on and see. So before I go on, I just want to quickly talk about coaching and how this comes into it. There are a lot of definitions of coaching on the internet. You can go and Google it if you want. And of course, there's a lot of context for coaching as well where it will play out differently. So a volleyball coach is doing something quite different to a business coach who is doing something quite different from a pedagogical coach in a school, for example. Or are they? At its core, coaching is basically having a conversation where there are some clear expectations at the outset that, for example, it's not going to be the same as a conversation with your friend in a coffee shop. It's not a chat. It's not that kind of conversation. It's also not teaching where there's a one directional exchange of information and it's not therapy either, right? So coaching is a conversation where the person being coached has a goal or a desire and the coach is there to help that person to explore and uncover what they maybe need to do to reach that goal for themselves and over time to stay accountable but also self-aware to do the work that's required to reach whatever the goal is but also to pay attention to whether things are working or not and to tweak and to shift accordingly. So that volleyball coach example, the volleyball coach isn't necessarily the best volleyball player, Um, although they probably are much better at volleyball than, you know, your average human on the street. They quite possibly have had a career as an elite athlete, but it might not have actually been in volleyball, right? So again, they may not are the best volleyball person, But what the volleyball coach has got is an understanding of the game, obviously, um, and the particular challenges of playing, you know, sports at a certain level. But more importantly, the mental models and frameworks that apply to life, to people, to change. So it's the same in any context in the sense that obviously the context is different. The context of a volleyball coach, you know, they need to understand volleyball and a business coach has a background in business and a pedagogical coach in a school needs to understand and have knowledge and experience in teaching and learning. But aside from the context, the coaching is actually about helping a person to notice for themselves how those mental models, the thoughts, the beliefs, the assumptions, the mindset, how that's playing out for them at the moment and how that's impacting their behavior and their habits and their practices and whether or not that is helping them reach the goal or the desire that they said they wanted to reach. So it's not about doing the work for the person and it's not even about having the answers. Coaching is helping a person through the act of a particular kind of conversation, helping a person increase their self-awareness and then making choices and being intentional about the next steps for themselves. And I tell you that because in my work as a wellbeing coach, most of my work is not really about well-being specifically. I mean, obviously that's the context, right? And I coach teachers, so we of course talk about teaching too. That's the context. But remember, I'm here to remind you that you're a person first and a teacher second. So my job is really to help you focus on you, the person, not your teaching. And then also you, the person, not necessarily you, the person with well-being. I hope that distinction is clear. And then we talk about, or we focus on how your thoughts, your beliefs, your assumptions, mindset, Uh, how that impacts behavior and practices and habits and how all of that impacts your personal well-being. So then you get to decide whether it's working for you or not, right? It's not up to me to tell you what to do or what is right for you. I fundamentally do not believe that there's one size fits all. And I fundamentally do not believe that there's one approach that will suit you personally for your 
work or life or forever. No, you change, life changes. And so it's a continual process of awareness and growth and experimenting with what works and what doesn't work. So how does all that relate to binary and linear thinking? Well, in my role as a coach, I'm often able to observe that clients are feeling stuck or like they are in self-sabotage about their health and well-being. And they'll say things to me like, I can't get a particular well-being habit to stick. Or I'm no good at self-care. Just when I think it's going well, it all falls apart. And then I'm back at the start and I'm a failure. And the thing is, often those kinds of statements or beliefs are predicated on binary and or linear thinking, which we've already established are myths. So when you unpack those myths of binary and linear thinking that are underlying these statements, it becomes apparent that actually those statements or beliefs about not being good at self-care or not being able to stick to habits, it's not actually the whole truth, right? And so being aware of that allows you, you know, you listening in your car or on, you know, on the treadmill at the gym or wherever you're listening to this, Being aware of that and just increasing your level of awareness of that over time can help you actually coach yourself. And that self-coaching process is very similar. It's about being aware for yourself and observing when you make statements like, I can't do this or I'm no good at this. Is that statement or belief predicated on maybe binary or linear thinking, which if we've already established that's a myth, then is that statement the whole truth? Is there something to unpack there? Is there something to be aware of or to notice or to shift or to move through? By the way, this is a normal human thing. Like like I said, the goal here is not to rid ourselves of the curse of binary or linear thinking. No, it's to be aware and to know when that kind of thinking is helpful and applicable and when it isn't and to notice how much we've been conditioned to apply it anywhere and everywhere or to believe that the world and life is inherently binary and linear all the time, which it isn't. Um, and I do it too, right? This is a normal human thing and I get stuck in this too and then, I, and then I notice it and then I'm aware of it and then I can shift it or I can tweak it or I can, you know, try something else on for size. So the goal is to be flexible so that when we notice that we are thinking in binaries or linearly and then we notice that that's not helpful, then we can choose a different approach that might be more applicable to the situation. So if we recognize that binary thinking or linear thinking is showing up for us and it isn't necessarily helpful or applicable to the situation, what do we do instead? Well, I have a few ideas for you. And this is not an exhaustive list, obviously, but rather some suggestions of things that I have found helpful and things that my coaching clients tell me has been really helpful for them. So I invite you to try them on for size. Sit with them, see what resonates for you, experiment with trying them out in your life, and then you can do the ongoing work of paying attention to whether they work for you or not and why that might be. Why is there a reason it's working for you or not? And then you can shift and tweak accordingly. So instead of binary thinking where there's one right or wrong, you know, there's one right option and one wrong option and nothing in between, why not play with spectrum thinking? where there is a spectrum, a whole lot of shades of grey, if you will. Binary thinking tells us that things are all or nothing, but that's rarely the case. And and I talked about that in, I think it was episode 11 or 12 of season three, which was about thinking traps that keep us stuck. And we did talk about that all or nothing thinking, which is an example of binary thinking. 
It's very rarely the case, especially with health and well-being. Well-being is not as simple as well or unwell. It's so much more of a spectrum or a continuum than that. And what if instead we approached our health and well-being goals as having many in-between options? And we may find ourselves at different places on the spectrum, you know, in that messy middle at different times in life, different times of the term, you know, all sorts of for different reasons we're at different places on that spectrum. So it's not a fixed thing. We're not fixed on that continuum. It changes continuously because our life and work and health is continuously in motion along that spectrum or continuum. So that's quite different from the way many of us have been conditioned to think about health and well-being. So think about all those fad diets that you may have seen promoted in magazines or on the internet, right? And or the latest piece of exercise equipment sold to you in infomercials. We have totally been conditioned and sold, literally sold when we're talking about those infomercials, but conditioned to think about health and well-being as a destination that is fixed in place and that there is some kind of quick win, quick solution. You're either on the diet or you're not. And if you're not, then it's assumed that you're binging fried chicken and chips and all the un- all the junk food all day, every day. There's no in-between. Or you're using your new ab fitness machine every single day and getting super ripped, or you're a sloppy couch potato. Those are the only options, right? It's sold to us that there is no in-between, but that's simply not true. Go back and listen to my episode from last season, from season five, about quick fixes if you want to know what I think about that. Because let me remind you, there are no quick fixes with health and well-being and you're not broken. So you don't need to be fixed anyway. We can also approach health and well-being outcomes instead of that binary thinking. We can approach it with directional thinking where we are basically heading in a direction. We have a goal, but we accept that there are many different ways to get there and different speeds, different vehicles, you know. Again, this fits with this continuum or spectrum thinking. We can be healthy-ish and the way we get to healthy-ish might be different from the person next to us. We can feel like our well-being is a 7 out of 10 as opposed to a 10 out of 10 and that's okay. 7 out of 10 is pretty good and it's great if now we're at a 7 out of 10 for well-being when we used to be a 3 out of 10. So, it's not you're either a 0 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10. Like there's all this stuff in the middle. And let me give you a practical example of this. So I want to share a couple of examples with you today from coaching clients who actually there are amalgamations of coaching clients. And obviously I'm disguising identities for privacy reasons, but I also, you know, I'm sure you've had this experience with students, right? You, you, it's, it's a different student. It's a different year. It's a different year level, but it's the same pattern. You know, we, we get when we do something a fair amount, we, we start to see some patterns. And, and so often for us as human beings that we think we're the only ones with this problem. But actually, when you do work that I do, you start to see, oh, my goodness, no, it's been really helpful for me personally to see that, wow, you know, other, it's helped me with my own self-compassion because I'm seeing that other people have some similar experiences to what I've had or similar, they're struggling with similar things. And, it, and, and it's helped me to stop that story going on in my mind about I'm the only one with this problem and therefore I'm a problem. And also, you know, it means that I start, I don't know, hopefully it means I get better at what I do, but because I can start to see that different clients come to me maybe with totally different contexts, but it's it's similar patterns that are going on. So that's why I'm sharing this one because it's one that's come up quite a lot in particularly in the last I would say eight to 10 months. 
this particular idea about the binary thinking has been a really common one with with my clients. And so, like I said, I want to share some examples from real real clients. I'm disguising their identity, but they're also kind of a mishmash of people anyway because this is a, a really common thing that people come to coaching with me for, you know, this this kind of the habits and things that they want to work on with wellbeing coaching seem to be very similar. So, you know, this is a concept as well that the teachers in this current round of the Resilient Teacher Coaching Program tell me they've found so helpful and it's the concept of having a plan B and a plan C when it comes to your wellbeing habits and even more plans than that if you want because there's 26 letters in the alphabet after all. So if we've been conditioned to think in binary terms, we've been conditioned to think we have plan A and if that doesn't work, you fail. And there are even some people who say that making a plan B and a plan C means that you won't give your all, you won't give everything to plan A and therefore you're setting yourself up for failure. And maybe that resonates with you. Maybe you like that kind of no safety net idea, but I think those people can go and spruik that message somewhere else because I have found it to be a really toxic thinking trap for myself and for the clients that I work with. So I want to give one example of this, which is my client, Shelly. So Shelly wanted to have a morning routine so that she could start the day feeling calm and knowing she'd done something for herself before the busyness of the school day, you know, took over. And she had identified that for her after school and evenings was not going to be practical. Um, She had too many other things going on in the evenings, was too tired. Um, And, you know, once she was in the zone with schoolwork, you know, after school, she liked to finish it. So she didn't want to be interrupted to have to go and do any healthy habits at like 4.30 or whatever, which works for some people, right? Remember, there's no one size fits all, but for Shelley, that's not what she wanted. But she was finding it really difficult because she had this ideal plan for her sort of morning self-care with a range of activities in it. And then when there was an early meeting at school or a busy week or, you know, and she needed to get to school earlier or if she slept in, that self-care ritual, you know, that morning routine got dropped because she didn't have time to quote unquote do the whole thing. Maybe you can observe that for Shelley, unbeknownst to her, there was a little bit of binary thinking going on. She was believing that she had to do the whole self-care morning routine and if she didn't have time for that, she would skip it altogether. So unconsciously, she decided that there were only two options, doing the whole thing or doing nothing, and they were mutually exclusive. So together, we explored and unpacked that a little bit over time and and. Shelly came up with plan A, plan B, and plan C for her morning routine. So the things she could do on the days when she had more time and energy, that was the plan A list, but then life doesn't always go to plan A, so there's options for plan B and options for plan C for days when time, energy, other resources are directed elsewhere. So she can still get to work knowing she's done her morning routine, she's practiced self-care, she's put herself first in the day, can still arrive feeling calm, even on the plan C days. So one mantra that I live by that's been really powerful for me in my own well-being habits is that when things get busy or you have less time or energy, stick to the schedule, reduce the scope. And I use this all the time personally with my evening meditation. So I meditate every night before bed. I know that it helps me sleep better. It's I love meditation. This kind of idea of stick to the schedule, reduce the scope is the way that I've been able to make this habit stick because even though I like to do longer meditations when I can, I don't force myself to do a 20 or 30 minute meditation on on the nights when I'm exhausted. And that's like, I'm not going to say that that's once a month. That's at least once or twice a week, if not more, when I'm just too tired or I've watched Netflix too late or something and, and then I'm like really ready for bed. 
And so I just allow myself to do a five-minute meditation. That's like my plan B. And even a two-minute meditation, which is my plan C. So I stick to the schedule of meditating before bed, which I've worked out for me is the best time for me to do it in the day. And I reduce the scope. I also use Insight Timer, which is an app that I love. But so that's one way that I personally apply this plan A, plan B, plan C idea to my own life with a well-being habit that's important to me. And before that, I myself was stuck in that binary thinking that either I did this long in-depth meditation or I was too tired so I did nothing. So this plan A, plan B, plan C thing, I mean, I don't think that we invented it, but it came up because it was an approach that my husband, Stuart, who's an exercise physiologist, shared in the first fatigue resilience masterclass that we did earlier this year and the resilient teacher group got access to it so it's something that's come up over and over in the resilient teacher cohort that's going through at the moment so you can still actually purchase the replay of that class if you would like it was all about heart rate variation and exercise and how that relates to fatigue i'll put a link in the description of the episode anyway we were talking about exercise and about making it a habit Obviously, we know exercise is good for our health and well-being, but making it a habit is one of the most common things that both Stuart and I discuss with our clients. Obviously, I don't give exercise advice. I'm not an exercise physiologist. I just help with the accountability and the goal-setting part of it. But anyway, it's a really common thing that we both see in our work that people get caught in that binary thinking trap regarding their exercise routine. So similar to my struggles with making meditation a daily habit, And with Shelley's frustrations about her morning routine, it's common for Stuart to have clients say that they have an exercise plan or a routine, but life gets busy and then they drop it all together. Does that sound familiar? I bet it does because you tell me, right? You tell me this is something that you struggle with as well. So Stuart suggested that having a plan A exercise routine, a plan B exercise routine, and a plan C exercise routine idea. So maybe plan A is your one hour workout at the gym with all the whiz-bang equipment and everything. Or it's maybe the one-hour yoga class at your favorite studio. Now, plan B and plan C could be for days when you don't have as much time or energy, or maybe you're at home, you don't have the equipment. For example, maybe you only have 20 minutes today, not the whole hour. So what are you going to do in that time? You can still exercise, but it's maybe not the full workout. Or, you know, hypothetically, maybe a global pandemic arrived and closed down all the gyms and yoga studios. So you have no choice but to figure out some at-home options, right? So the idea of intentionally making a plan A, plan B and plan C has been something that's come up again and again uh, since then with the uh, Resilient Teacher Group because it's so applicable to so many areas of health and well-being. And I believe That it's one way, it's not the only way, but it's one way that we can shift out of that binary thinking that keeps us stuck in thinking it's A or, you know, it's it's a right or wrong option and that's it. So I invite you to think about the ways that might come up for you in your life. Are there areas of your health and well-being where you're having that all or nothing approach and telling yourself the story that it is all or nothing, that it's binary, that you either get it right or you're completely wrong. You either succeed in total or you're an absolute failure. So I encourage you instead just to try thinking about it with that spectrum thinking and that directional thinking, maybe asking yourself where on a scale of 1 to 10 that habit or that sense of well-being falls. And then if you are trying to apply a new habit or change something, build in a routine or a practice, try that plan A, plan B, plan C idea so that you give yourself the gift of multiple options and multiple paths to reach your goal. All right, so the other myth 
that I mentioned earlier is that one of linear thinking. So how do we move out of linear thinking if we notice that it's not helping us in our health and well-being journey? Well, if we wanted to be binary about it, <laughs> the opposite of linear is nonlinear, but nonlinear is so nonlinear that there are multiple ways we can think about that. So it's not a strictly binary thing. Basically, if linear is a direct path from you know point A to point B, and we want to break away from that idea that there's only this one direct path, this you know only one way to get there, and it's only from A to B, then it's about accepting that there may not be a direct route to get where we want to go. It might be circuitous. It might be full of false starts and dead ends and backtracking, and that's okay, and that's normal. So directional thinking that I mentioned earlier, that applies here too. And another really common thing I hear is, you know, that you tell me that you take two steps forward with your well-being or your habits, and then you have a setback of some kind. Two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. And you tell me how much you hate that and how much you feel, you know, that that means that you've failed. But actually two steps forward, one step back, it's still progress. It's still, you know, it's still stepping forward. And it's very, very normal for habit change to be that way, to be that kind of two step forward, one step back. But if we decide that one step back or however many steps back means total failure, instead of still being some kind of progress of where we were compared to where we, when we started, then we're buying into that notion of binary again, that there is success or failure and nothing in between. And we're buying into the idea of linear thinking because because we're thinking that we have to be continuously improving or continuously going in the one direction. But if it's not direct, if it's not direct continuous progress of linear thinking, it could still be getting us to where we want to go on a more, you know, circuitous route. That's that directional thinking. And the plan A, plan B, plan C thing applies here too, but we already talked about that. So let's instead talk about seasons and cycles and tilting. So linear thinking tells us that things happen in a particular order from start to finish and that's the end. And that might be true of the plot of a film or a book, um, but so much of life isn't really like that. And actually, there are parts of our Western world that are linear like that, but it's a construct. We made it up. It's not that it's the only way it has to be. So the best example that I can think of for this is the economy. And I'm not an economist, but bear with me. So our economy is set up in this kind of linear fashion and it's predicated on the belief that continuous growth is possible <laughs> um, and continuous resource consumption, right, is is what, what drives the economy. So resources get used up and then thrown out and then we have to go find more resources to use them up and throw them out. And it's this linear one-way continuous thing that means that any kind of downturn in the stock market or housing market or whatever or, or any break from that linear model, you know, anytime there's any interruption to the supply chain, then that's a problem because our economic model is based on the fact that we need that continuous growth and we need a continuous supply chain of resources so that we can continuously consume in a linear fashion. But actually, there are other economic models. So one uh, that people are talking more and more about these days, you might have heard the term, is the circular economy, which is, or a donut economy, it's also called. It's this idea that instead of our economy being that linear model of resources being produced and consumed and discarded, it's more the reduce, reuse, recycle, share model, keeping things in circulation and, and, and sharing, right? And like I said, I'm not an economist, um, obviously, but my point is that, again, we are taught in so many aspects of life that linear is the one right way. 
the only way, right? Success, we're told, is the same, which is why that sense of having two steps forward, one step back can really, you know, uh, we can beat ourselves up for that because we tell ourselves that that's not how success happens. We think that we've been fed a narrative that success is constant linear improvement without any setbacks. But of course, read any biography of any successful person in any field and you'll probably find that's not actually how their real path looked. It was almost always, you know, two step forward, one step back, or maybe some dead ends. It's almost always circuitous. So let's bring it back to health and well-being. The linear thinking tells us that if we are trying to improve our health and well-being, we will do some things that make us get better and more healthy and improve our well-being, and it will just keep improving until we reach some magical endpoint where everything is perfect and we are healthy and well all the time and increasingly healthy and well all the time. So therefore, if we're not continuously improving, if we're not continuously getting more healthy, improving our well-being, then as per the linear model, something is wrong. But actually, what if instead we thought about it in this idea of seasons, of cycles, of rhythms, of an ebb and a flow, two steps forward, one step back, maybe a step to the side, maybe a fall or a stumble, maybe a skip or a jump or a leap. You get the idea. So if you think about the actual seasons of the year, it's an ebb and a flow. It's winter, spring, summer, and autumn. And there's a pattern there and it's not continuous growth. There is growth, of course, there is. And there's harvest, but there's also a time for the land to lie fallow and to rest. What if we think about our health and well-being that way? I mean, obviously I want you to rest, but I'm not even so much talking about that kind of more direct idea that we all need activity and rest. I'm actually thinking about adopting habits. As teachers, we don't have a linear or a static schedule throughout the year. Our workplace does not set us up for 48 weeks of the same routine and then four weeks of annual leave. That's not the lifestyle that our work requires of us. We have these cycles of more intense work and activity during the term, followed by, you know, some less intense times of term and, of course, school holidays. So what I see quite often is teachers trying to force their health and well-being habits into this linear model when actually we live and work in a cyclical, seasonal way. And I wonder if embracing that is the key. I think it is for me and it has been for a lot of my clients. It may not be for you, but just try it on for size, right? So here's another example from another mixture of coaching clients, but let's call this one Lisa. So Lisa came to me wanting to get her exercise habit to stick through the term which, like I said, is a really common one. Um, She told me she felt like she could never get it to stick. She would start an exercise routine or a gym program or sign up for yoga and do really well for a month or so at the start of term, going three times a week and then four times a week once she got into a rhythm. But then the middle of term would hit, life would get more busy, assessments, meetings, you know the drill, and then she'd drop back to one or two times per week. And then she told me she'd beat herself up in her mind because two times per week was so much less than the four times per week she was aiming, she had been doing, and definitely it was the opposite direction to where she wanted to go, which was to get into a routine of three or four times a week and then increase it to five times a week once she'd established the habit. But she never, ever got there. She'd felt like she was failing and by only doing one or two times a week in the busy weeks. And then by the end of term, you know, it might be report card week or something would make her just go, you know what, I'm going to stop altogether because obviously you just can't make this habit stick and I'm too busy anyway. Does that sound familiar? 
Maybe you can recognize yourself in Lisa. Maybe it's not about exercise. Maybe for you, it's some other health or well-being habit you're trying to make work. So in this example with Lisa, there's a bit of binary thinking going on too and a piece around perfectionism that plays into this. So we won't go into that today, but just be aware of that as well, that perfectionist thing. Look out for it in case you find yourself getting caught up in having to be perfect as well as the binary and linear thinking with your health and well-being goals. So the thing that Lisa was most concerned about was that instead of improving like she thought, and I say quote unquote improving there, it's in inverted commas, instead of increasing from three to four times per week to five times per week, which was the ultimate goal and that's what she thought would be success, she was going backwards in her words and ending up back at one or two times per week and then eventually giving up. And this was a pattern that was repeating itself, right? So together, we explored and we unpacked that a little bit and we looked at the reality of the way her schedule actually shifted throughout the term. It wasn't necessarily that Lisa had no time or energy during the busy weeks in the middle of term. It wasn't necessarily that she she couldn't exercise during that time. It was that she was telling herself a story that she was failing. She'd set some goal for herself and she was failing that goal And that was then demotivating to her. And it was actually that feeling that she was failing on this linear exercise improvement plan. And that's what was leading her to drop back to fewer times per week and then eventually none at all. So Lisa and I kind of dug a bit deeper with that and we we explored what it would look like for her to actually make twice per week exercise the baseline. And anything over that's a bonus. So twice per week is a success. Instead of feeling like she had to always be improving from two to three to four to five times per week, to actually drop that linear expectation of improvement or increasing, that made a huge difference for her. And she told me and she reported that even though things didn't actually change that much in reality, like her actual practice of exercise maybe didn't really change that much, the pattern throughout the term didn't change that much, what did change was her mindset and her experience of it and the way she spoke to herself about it. That story about being a failure for not continuously improving and increasing changed so that then it was about accepting the cyclical nature of, you know, high and low times in the term and working with that instead of against it. And I also introduced Lisa to the concept of tilting. And I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but it was a long time ago and I'm not sure which one. So I'll recap. This is a concept that I got from Brooke McCallery of slowyourhome.com and the Slow Home Podcast. Um, And she's also covered this in her books, I think. And uh, she got the concept, I think, from something that Sarah Wilson wrote in her blog, sarahwilson.com.au. So Brooke says that tilting is essentially about being aware of the changing pressures of life and being flexible. So she's got some examples. She says, some days your kids are happy to play independently, so you can tilt towards catching up on tasks around the house. Some days your kids are sick or needy, or just grumpy, and that means you can't get anything done except the very basics, so you just tilt towards being there for the kids and supporting them. You know, sometimes your partner is under added pressure at work, so you tilt towards lessening the load on them at home, and sometimes you need to recharge, so you tilt towards being kind to yourself and letting go of the things that don't help with that. So sometimes you have a busy time at work, so you tilt towards, you know, simple meals, light home duties, simple rhythms. So tilting allows you to focus on what is important in the moment and it kind of recognizes that life is a bit off kilter. We're never in this perfect level of balance, right? We tilt towards 
work in the busy times at work and we tilt towards home in the school holidays. That is the way it goes. And so Brooke goes on to say, instead of battling to find balance every day, it's more about creating balance over a month or a year. Tilting in when we have less time, tilting out when we have more time. And so for teachers, I think tilting is such a powerful concept because it gives us permission to accept that our schedules look different and the demands of our work are different at different times of the year, different times of the term. When we accept that, we can tilt more towards our health and well-being goals during the school holidays and, you know, some of those shoulder times of term when it's less busy, and then we tilt more into work during report card weeks. So we think about our schedule and our goals and what we'd like to achieve for our health and well-being, and we actually work with our schedule instead of against it. But the trick is not to let that tilt be 10 weeks on work and, you know, 10 weeks tilting off your well-being and then two weeks of holidays tilting into your well-being and that's it. That's not helpful, right? And because that is kind of that binary thinking again, that if it's a bit, if it's school term, then I don't have time for any health and well-being. And if it's school holidays, then that's when I do my health and well-being. And then they're the only options, right? That's not helpful. And we don't want to be getting caught in that binary thinking. But instead, we can be finding and applying ways during even the most demanding times of term to do some things that still keep health and well-being on the agenda, even if it's not the perfect ideal routine or it's not what we would do in the school holidays. You know, so think about that plan A, plan B, plan C. So I would really encourage you to just play with this concept. Just pay attention to it in your life over the, you know, the next week or month um, or year. Notice when you find yourself saying something to yourself like, I can't do it because, or I'm no good at such and such. And you know, this because binary thinking and linear thinking applies at, at work too. I'm sure you'll start to notice it. But particularly when we're talking about your health and well-being, you can pay attention and be aware of that and actually do some self-coaching. When you do notice it, you can start to ask yourself, well, is is it actually true? Are there actually only these two options? Is there more that I could be exploring in between? What's, you know, on a scale of one to 10, where am I? So it's not all or nothing. Maybe it's a, a continuum or a scale. Where am I on that scale of one to 10? And what are my options other than, you know, success or failure? What if there was a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, a plan E? You know, what if you gave that some thought and thought about, well, what would success look like in the busiest week if I still got that habit or that well-being practice included somewhere? It's not going to be my plan A. It's my plan J. What would that look like for you? And give yourself permission to just play with that and explore that and experiment with it over time. So I hope that this sort of exploration of the ways that binary thinking and linear thinking can hold us back or keep us stuck with our health and well-being outcomes has been helpful to you. I'd love to hear from you if it has. Hit me up in Facebook or Instagram. Tag me. I'd like to have conversations about this. And also remember that if you're an Australian teacher listening at the time of this release, so late June, early July 2020, Go to selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash survey to take part in the teacher health and wellbeing survey that I'm running at the moment. Really, really would love to have you involved, even if you just want to do the anonymous part of the quantitative data bit. You don't have to do the second part of the survey that is 
optional, the part where there's a little bit more personal details shared and and, um, a little bit more of your story, uh, you don't have to do that if you don't want to. You can just do the anonymous part. Would love, love, love to have your data there. And also head on to selfcoverteachers.com.au forward slash resilient teacher to jump on the waiting list if you want to be the first to know about the next round of the Resilient Teacher Coaching Program and to hear about the special early bird deals too. I will put all the links for this episode in the description. And as always, remember that you are a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher well-being and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care.